This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you feel you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, please seek professional counseling. If you feel you or someone you know is in danger, please call a local emergency number or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. That being said, let's light this candle. Everybody, and welcome to the Brain Drain Zone, a podcast where a mental health counselor and a dorky writer sit down to discuss and explore the psychology and nerddom that is oh so close to our hearts. Join us as we discuss the psychology of life, comics, music, and anything else we can think of that comes wh- to our mind. That that comes to our mind. My name is Chris Courtney. I'm Heather Bailey. And Let's get this show on the road. Woo! <laughs> oh, man. Second episode. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's, it's a hot one today, folks. By the way, happy 4th of July to all our listeners. Well, soon to be 4th of July. S- soon to be 4th of July. It's the 3rd of July, but that doesn't mean fireworks are not still going off. Happy belated Canada Day, too. Indeed, for yeah. for all, and any other holidays that I'm unaware of, for our international listeners. Yeah. Um. So uh, I guess today we can start with uh, a little. Well, to start with, what what did we do today? Just to give a brief overview. Oh my God! Your tan line for your bracelet. Thank you. <laughs> We were walking around a little bit, but we were mainly visiting some comic shops that a couple of which we hadn't visited in a little while. Yep, and I found I had a couple of finds that I was happy to not only comic wise but movie wise that I was happy to find. So, um, Heather, what just before we like I said before we start with our main topic today, what did you find? Well, I found the uh, first volume of Moon Knight, the Warren Ellis run. I know he's a controversial character right now, but I I hear that his run on Moon Knight was very good. And also Peter Panzerfaust. Panzerfaust? Panzerfaust. I think that's how you're (laughs) supposed to pronounce that, which is basically Peter Pan in World War II and not like... The Disney's Peter Pan 2, where it's set in World War II. I mean, Peter Pan is like a, a rogue secret agent with the uh, Boys of Neverland fighting in World War II. And I'm guessing at some point Captain Hook's going to be introduced as a Nazi. And it looks like it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. American idea. Mm-hmm. I and would assume. As far as DVDs goes, I found the collection of called Memories, which is a 
sort of anthology thing that I had at one point but sold it because I was a little bored but then I remembered that it had Magnetic Crows on it so I decided to go ahead and go with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another DVD that is sort of nostalgic to me, but I am not going to actually name it to just preserve my dignity because. (laughs) (laughs) And then as far as manga, I picked up the first volume of Jujutsu Kaisen, which volume one, which is very popular right now. And I'm still not entirely sure what it's supposed to be about, but I'll figure it out soon. And another manga that that I'm not going to explain because I want to preserve my dignity. Okay. Okay then. Um, I have. I have. You're a writer. You have no dignity. What are you talking about? I at least want to prevent <laughs> my fetishes from being explained on the internet. Fair enough. <laughs> um, as far as I go, I found a couple issues one and two of something called Reaver. It looks like it basically looks like a fantasy version of the Suicide Squad, which looks. A lot of fun. Looks like a lot of fun. It's fun. I can already see which one's going to be Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who's Harley Quinn? <laughs> Skin Eater will be <laughs> Harley Quinn from Image Comics. And then I also picked up a Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater, number three, which I which we briefly discussed last episode. Um, I decided to finally pick it up. So, and what movies did we find that mm, we're super happy about? <laughs> movies, I found uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which is sort of a, a personal, like, I, personal, like, sort of taste thing for me. And I found the, mo- the DVD of the movie Dogma, which I, which I am extremely happy about because I have been looking for that for a very long time, and... Haven't found it up until this point. So. And I am going to be forced to watch tonight. <laughs> uh, well, you make it sound like I'm twisting your arm and that it's a horrible, horrible movie. Well, you did say it's horrible, but in all the right ways. Right. It's like Life of... It's like the same way... It's like I said, it's it's horrible in the same way that Life of Brian is horrible. Yeah, I was just teasing you. It's it's like it's like how I want to force your arm into watching a couple of animes yeah. that I know of that I think you might like. Okay. Um, well, beyond that, um, let's let's not bore everyone too much <laughs> with with the mundane details of our daily lives. I'll have you know, there are a good number of people who will pay for us to <laughs> detail our mundane lives. I know. I apparently people will pay to watch others eat. Okay, okay. I, I'm let's 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 save that kind of thing for another episode. <laughs> um. So, Heather, what are we discussing this episode? Now that we're beyond introductions and all that good stuff so today's episode we decided to go with the topic of madness versus mental illness in comics and i know that sounds a little odd but there is a difference between the two and how they are portrayed in comics is a lot more interesting than i think either of us really thought when we first came up with that idea right until we started like discussing more about what we wanted to talk about, then it's like, oh, wow, this actually is a juicy topic. Right. And, um, yeah, it's turned out to be a lot, 
this rabbit hole has turned out to be a lot more detailed than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Even I thought it would be. Yeah. And so, because at least in my experience, just to say, madness seems, and we'll discuss this more in a, in a little bit, but madness in comics seems to be just sort of like an umbrella term for like everything, even even like just the 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 odd, quirky, outside the norm, or and that includes mental illness because mental illness is, let's face it, it's it is outside the norm in its own sense. Where right. Um, but uh, it's also used to describe, and like I said, we'll get into this later, the simple, uh, absence of moral acting according to moral or social obligation. So, like I said, it's, it's a pretty wide term and that the, they use. And what they, and what a writer means by madness kind of depends on who's writing the comic. Or what they're what they're drawing basis from, because there's a big difference between like Lewis Carroll madness and Arkham Asylum, Serious Place on Serious Earth madness, Serious House on Serious Earth, Serious House on Serious Earth. Yes, it's a weird it's a weird title. Yes, but I'm I am anal as hell about detail, so Um, which is hilarious considering considering our writing styles. Yeah. Um, so where do you, where, is there any, any particular place you wanted to start as far as this general subject went? I think we should probably start with the general definitions of like mental illness and mental health. Mm-hmm. Discuss that a little bit, just to lay a little bit of the ground base because. Writers are drawing from what they know, and so a lot of comic writers are drawing of, from what they know about madness and mental illness, so we should probably cover that ground a little bit. Right. Um, I'm, I, was, I know we talked about it earlier, but do, I, I was wondering, do we, I have the uh, 2015 definition of mental health according to the World Health, Health Organization, but I'm questioning, do we really need to be, have that read to us? I think so, because it will come up in our discussions with some of the characters we're going to be talking about. And once he reads this off, I'll tell you about my problems with this definition. Uh, we, we both have problems with it, because, because this is actually a definition of mental health, not of mental illness. Which is a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own, his or her own abilities can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. So, the first two points I agree with. Like, you're aware of who you are in your surroundings. Yes, that's good mental health. Um, what was the second one? The, you can cope with the normal stresses of life. Right. You're able to cope with right. life. That. Those right. two can, I agree with. You you can, but the thing is, they're talking about o- overwhelming positivity and productivity, and you know you can be mentally w- 
you can have your own mental health and still be angry or sad or something depending on the circumstances of your life. And my big gripe about this definition is the last two parts about being a protective member of society and contributing to, to your community, which is basically implying you're mentally he- healthy when you're a good little worker ant for the machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's it's I, I, again, I agree with those first two parts, but and I agree that, yes, if if you want to contribute to your community and you're able to do it on a normal basis, then yeah, that's perfectly fine. It's just the fact that those two are requirements for being mentally well is like, uh, just the wording is a little suspect. Right. And I mean, I don't know if, like I said, or like I told Heather earlier, I don't know if this definition has changed since 2015, but it also seems to imply that, like I said, positivity seems to be the, like the overwhelming theme there and as we all as all of us who have seen inside out learned positivity can just be toxic so toxic and just yeah mhm and um, and we'll discuss this within a couple of characters their whole thing is contradicting that definition of mental health and while, yes, they are technically correct, uh, there are some problems there. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, as I was trained um, from a clinical standpoint, the, the, as far as defining mental illness or mental wellness, the questions that need to be asked are, does the, whatever is in question, does it cause the patient or the client significant distress? Does it actively and significantly interfere with their ability to go about daily life? And does it lead the individual to be a danger to themselves or others? So I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that because I am not a clinical psychologist. <laughs> I'm not a clinical psychologist either. I've, I'm a counselor. There's a difference, but... You know, th- but again, well, th- you kind of trumped me with your credentials. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Though, how about you? We give an example of like what is and is not mental illness. Um, like say a woman stays in her house all day and does and does whatever in her house, and while other and you could argue that it is detrimental to her health. She does not see that as a problem. Okay. She is does. that a men- Can you, um, it, I would say offhand, I would say it can because that's, um, uh, that's fair. That's basically agoraphobia, but, um, it, it has to, it has to do a lot with, like I said, is it, is it, Interfering with her ability to function as a human being, like as a neuro, as a as a neurotypical human might. For the sake of nuance, let's say no, technically not, because you can do remote work. Okay, then if she's, then it becomes a gray area. She's not leaving her house, um, and it's not distressing her at all. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say because the reason normally. Or typically, I'll say, the the reason it, it's about the reason why she doesn't want to leave her house. Mm-hmm. It is is the is the reason that she doesn't want to leave her house distressing her. Like it would she be distressed if she left her house? Then so, then it becomes so if if the her reasoning was 
I'm fine where I am. Whereas if her reasoning is she just does not want to interact with the outside world because she's terrified she's going to die right, the that, minute she steps outside her house. Right, then that becomes true agoraphobia. Vagueness and gray areas is going to be a running theme with this podcast, <laughs> folks. Get ready for a boatload of frustration because that's psychology for you. <laughs> In, indeed, there is, there is as much gray area... As and especially when when it comes to the practice of clinical mental health, um, there's so much gray area when you're dealing with adults alone. When you, especially when you start mm-hmm. dealing with kids, then it then the gray area becomes even more gray. Which makes <coughs> the portrayal in comic books to be quite difficult, because through 30, 40 years. More and more writers have been wanting to incorporate this element where they either somehow discuss mental health issues, and sometimes they do it well, like with um, Demon in the Bottle with Tony Stark dealing with his alcoholism. Right. Like, not realizing that your addiction is really affecting you until you hit rock bottom. Right. Which, unfortunately, is the case for a lot of alcoholics. And And sometimes not even then, unfortunately. Yeah. And so there have been some good examples with comics where it comes to displaying mental health. But then sometimes you get that, like, especially within the last couple of years, it's been this weird gray area where it's not quite mental illness. Like, they're obviously trying to imply that this character is insane but then there's the line of okay is this like it's like how do you define sanity yeah how do you define sanity is this character suffering from an actual mental illness or are they in the realm of madness which is different because as we mentioned madness is kind of an umbrella it's an old timey-wimey umbrella term right um it's and as i said it seems to apply to just acting in the absence of all social and moral inhibitions as well as maybe some like someone might like a writer might throw in some psychotic features in there for for i don't know flavor or something like that and it, and yeah. it becomes like a very general thing or they'll try to actually attack it and they'll try to go a little too textbook or a little too try hard which we will discuss in some of our examples right because it Especially when it comes to certain legacy characters, the line between mental illness and madness is like, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would say a good place to start as any uh, was one of the characters that I wanted to discuss was uh, Dr. Destiny, who from the Justice League of America comics... Um, a little bit of history. He he created the Materiopticon, which was a device that created reality from the fabric of dreams, and it was powered, um, as we f- later find out in the Sandman series, by the Dreamstone, which was given to his mother, given to him by his mother after her death, or at least it was kind of left to him. And for those of you who are not privy to comics, but are a little mal- are. Millennials. So for those of you who are not comic savvy, but are aware of cartoons from around the mid-2000s, uh, Dr. Destiny was that skeleton dude 
that the Justice League fought when in their dreams. Like once they went into their dreams, he kept them. He was like a prisoner and he was going through this experimental program and he got these superpowers. It's a whole thing. Yeah. But anyway, that's who Dr. Destiny is. And eventually- So in the Sandman comics, he is presented quite differently. Right. Because by that point, the Justice League of America had hypnotized him to, ver- to prevent him from dreaming so he couldn't use his powers which allegedly is what d- drove him insane in the first place, and then they locked him up in Arkham, which caused him to shrivel up in this skeletal figure of insanity. And don't worry, folks, we're going to talk about Arkham in a later episode. Because <laughs> that, that is an episode all in and of itself. Yes. Um, I will say, um, sort of, uh, I did some research on the the like dream and sleep health because 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 of the the presentation that they 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 prevented him from dreaming which in turn drove him insane um i would say in all the research i found uh in the, everything in the past 10 years um i there is a difference between not dreaming and forgetting dreams and as well as not dreaming and not sleeping um you're more often more likely not to remember your dreams if if that's the case. Hmm. Um, if I, I will say there's it, there's a lot more danger. Like if you're losing sleep, that's when the real danger. Like that's when like normally the real danger is going to start. Like because you start hallucinating after three or four days of no sleep. And Destiny's powers are linked to sleep, so he, he and when they cut him off from that power. You could argue that that could cause some problems with him. Right, because I mean, even if you're not, if you're truly not dreaming, then that—that's a problem. <laughs> that well, I mean, it's not as big a problem as they make it in the comics, um, but it does show that the REM sleep cycle is to some degree impaired. Not always a cause for concern, based on what I found. Should we explain what the REM sleep cycle is for viewers? Um, a quick rundown. Rap, it's, it, rem, rapid eye movement. Rapid eye movement. That's when you are in your deepest level of sleep where dreams occur. Mm-hmm. And they know you're dreaming because when you're asleep, they notice with in studies, your eyes actually move like you're in your dream and you're looking around and seeing. That's why that's called REM sleep. And dreams have been linked to your brain basically processing the day's events and your emotions or whatever. But it is a cycle of sleep and you do have to tap into that for sleeping. For a complete, completely for a complete neurotypical, sleep. neurotypical sleep cycle. Sleep cycle, yes. Um, but yeah. But I will say, like I, like I was, I believe I was saying before, um, Dr. Destiny, as pre- especially as presented in The Sandman, he, he became... This, he became like a poster child, one of the poster children for like general madness because that is like he was, he was a, he he displayed a lot of elements of antisocial personality disorder in that he, um, he didn't respect social norms or laws. He was impulsive. He was aggressive. He had a disregard for other people's safety and a lack of remorse. Um, we'll get into more about psychopathy and, and that kind of thing later, 
Um, I'm just realizing we forgot to mention one thing about Madness. What's well, that? Well, I mentioned before that Madness is an old-timey-whiny term. And like you said, it is a term that's basically you're outside the norm, outside of social norms and whatnot. Outside of and moral that, obligations. Yeah, and moral obligation. And I will have to say that the concept of madness is more of a Victorian era right. thing. So basically anything outside of what they thought was normal was considered madness. That sometimes often include people who just happen to be either just... Neuro, neuro atypical, like if someone happened to be autistic, mm-hmm. and they dis- and or and they had to happen to be on the uh, lower functioning end of the spectrum, they were mad. Right. Or people who are suffering from lead poisoning, if they're a hatter, a little hint from who we'll discuss later. Right. But also like people who people happen who were- to be. You know, gay and yeah, whatnot. something where there there was so, no, there was no reason, there was no legitimate reason other than like societal right. norms to, which were off the rails to put which them is, in an asylum. Yeah, which is why we're stressing that there is a difference between madness and mental illness because it, it, madness is more like social norms. Like with Doctor Destiny, he's a villain and he's opposing authority. Right. And that alone would be can, would classify you right. as mad. I mean, right. The, I mean, like I said, the fact is the fact remained that he was violent and 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 remorseless and everything else, but the fact that he was acting without adherence to social or moral obligations is what where the line was first drawn. Right. What was the next one you wanted to discuss? Uh, the next one I wanted to discuss was the mask. Because he because in the comics, he is it's this it, the mask is for very those, different from the movie. Very different from the movie, yes, it is. But you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with either of them, um, the mask is a series that tells the story of a supernatural mask that grants the user nearly limitless power, often at the cost of their own sanity, quote unquote. Um. And the thing about <clears throat> when it when it says at the cost of their sanity, the whole like if you look at descriptions of it, uh, the the first qualification of losing sanity is removing, like I said, all social and moral inhibitions. And the big head, which is usually the name of the or how they refer to the wearer of the mask, um, the interesting thing is they they can be seen as the series protagonist or the antagonist depending on character motivations for doing the the wild things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. The characters around the mask or big head usually describe them as a psychopath or just insane. But I would say I would argue like as far as like actual mental illness and like especially concerning personality disorders, it really just, it's it seems to mirror antisocial personality disorder in that, like I said before, failure to respect laws and social norms, aggressive behavior, violent behavior, impulsivity, lack of remorse or significant lack of remorse. You could also argue that kind of, that while there could be a clinical explanation, it does kind of sort of fall into that category more of madness than right. Madness. It, it, it's another. It's a key. Doctor Destiny and the and the Mask are two key characters that I believe are like like I said poster children for the general term of madness. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I will. Well, I will say that, like for example, the DSM five kind of refers to like antisocial personality disorder, sociopathy, and psychopathy all as the same thing. Most of the work that most of the research that I found in the past couple of years that there seems to be several differences. Like for example, between I mean, sociopathy and antisocial personality disorder are kind of agreed to be basically the same thing, but psychopathy is something else entirely. Psychopathy is kind of sociopathy, except you're way more crazy. <laughs> um, that. That's that's a, that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, I will say um, there there's there is a lot of um, resemblance between the two. Um, there's little there's little to no remorse. Um, However, I w- you can reason with a psychopath more than a sociopath. Not necessarily, <laughs> because the one of the key differences I found in the research um, was that even though it's difficult. A sociopath can form an emotional connection to somebody. A psychopath can't. Ah. So psychopaths have that that particular overlap with antisocial personality disorder. Right. I mean, it's it's somewhat, somewhat, to, to my knowledge and to what I found, like I said, so... Um, antisocial personality disorder has a little bit more to do with sociopathy than psychopathy. This is actually reminding me of Buffalo Bill where he, uh, you know, he threw all those girls in the well, starved them for a few days, shot them, skinned them and whatnot. He's obviously an insane man, but he has this adorable little dog named Precious and Precious is always groomed. Precious always gets her way. So So he he was more of a sociopath. Right. So he is technically capable of it. It's just he's very picky on who he decides to love. Yeah. Well, it's not that, it's not that he's picky. It's it's he's limited into who he can form a a connection with because although I will say he's kind of picky because he does start to form in in the movie he does start to form that sort of emotional connection with the main the victim that we see. We see because she's crying in the well and he's starting to crack, uh, but he like pushes it away. So you can see that starting to form, but he pushes it away. Well, you could also argue that I it, I don't think it was ever I don't remember if it was ever explored in the movie that there's a possibility that he went through that too. So maybe that's just a little bit of him like empathy. A little bit, right? Sociopaths, in their own weird way, can express some empathy though again it's, it's, it's like extraordinarily rare and extraordinarily selective right and and psychopathy is more of a specific it describes a specific group of people whereas sociopathy and antisocial personality disorder they identify like a broader more biologically different difference type of group mm-hmm. so so is that all you have for the mask? Or? That was pretty much what I had for the mask. I will say that the, at least for the two characters that I, that I wanted to point out, the difference one of the differences between Dr. Destiny and the mask is that Dr. Destiny does also have some of that psychosis 
thrown in there for flavor as we see him in the Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's talking when he pit, when he finally reclaims the Dreamstone, he's talking to it even though it clearly can't talk back, and he's talking to it as if it's a person, and it's like showing a little bit of that psychotic behavior. Whereas the mask is very aware of reality and what he can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So folks, remember those uh, terms sociopathy, psychopathy, and antisocial personality disorder? Let's see how writers confuse those terms in the next batch of people we talk about. Right. Um, before we, I will say before we go any further, as an ad- addendum to the disclaimer that was, be- that was quoted at the beginning of the show... Uh, the any disorders that or symptoms we may describe are not for self-diagnosing. Oh no. No, like like I said, if you feel like you're struggling with anything, anything mentally related, please seek professional help and then take it, take it from there. Remember, you're listening to a counselor who, though very impressive, he has a master's and a dipshit who only has a bachelor's in psychology. <laughs> So keep that in mind, and also keep in mind that symptoms for mental illness, there is so much overlap, and it's... It's so much overlap, and and the presentation can be different between so many, like, between one person or another. Or even different iterations of the same character. So when you listen to some of our our diagnoses of our next batch of characters we're going to talk about, keep in mind there's a lot of overlap, and... It's, and it's, that's it's called com- comorbidity. Again, welcome to psychology. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, I guess the first of our new crop of characters who really rides that line hard with madness and mental illness is a Batman villain mm-hmm. known as the Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, he is based off of the Mad Hatter character from the Lewis Carroll book, Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And depending on which iteration you go with, he is, like, generally quirky, or he has, like, some symptoms, but it's kind of hard to really pin down what he has. And in some iterations, they just straight up say he has schizophrenia. Right. And... Oh my gosh. The Mad Hatter, he's actually a really good, I would argue he's actually a really good uh, character to pinpoint how writers have tried to conquer mental illness throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Because, again, he's based off the classic character of the Mad Hatter. So he's based off of a character who's defined by his madness. Right. And back, again, back in Victorian timey-wimey times, (laughs) the the way that madness is kind of generally perceived is you're kind of a little eccentric and quirky at at minimum and at maximum your danger to society right and that's kind of what the mad hatter was portrayed in the novel he was kind of quirky though you can kind of tell that there is some like very dark themes behind the mad hatter right but overall he's quirky and at the beginning of the mad hatters like debut and whatnot that's what he was but as more writers came along especially modern writers they're wanting to actually explore mental illness and so they're trying to actually go like actually make the mad hatter have a mental illness 
which sometimes it did not translate well. It did not translate well, and that's because they tried to diagnose him in a way where they it, were like trying to retroactively diagnose him, like like even though he was given that general umbrella term of madness under the Victorian right. area, or they, they tried bend, to, or they bent his character to fit the diagnosis, right? Or, Which is why his character is a very wide spectrum. Very, indeed. And, and the very extreme of that is in the Arkham games, where they explicitly say he has paranoid schizophrenia, and you just look at his mannerisms, you listen to him, and it's like, yeah, I can I can tell. definitely see that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But then you get other character iterations, like the um, Batman animated series, where it's like he's just more he's more goofy. He, I mean, he's, he's dangerous. He but. is dangerous. He he's a stalker, and he definitely has this delusion that Alice loves him romantically, right. even though it's clearly not that. Right. But he he rides that line because right. I I also think that writers just don't really know what to do with him as far as right, like, because, with mental health goes because he's like a poster child of mental. Illness in a way, but at the same time, people it's, don't really it's know. It's like what he's to do subject to the like. He, it's like he's subject to whatever writer he was writing about them, right? Or writing about him is going to be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interpret this how I'm gonna interpret it, rather than like an overarching canon interpretation. Or when they try <laughs> to go by the actual mental illness diagnosis, it's like you mostly get it right, but it's yeah. Yeah, which leads handily to another Batman villain or villainess that's very near and dear to Chris's heart. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Harley Quinn or Harleen Quinzel. She's the sexy juggalette <laughs> of uh, the Batman universe. That, that is such a terrible description of her. Oh, look at her outfit. <laughs> I, I'm not... I'm, like, if you're going, sure, if you're going by outfit alone, yeah. Okay, personality, yeah, she can be sweet and all, but with how, the way they dis- they designed her outfits, especially within the, when she was part of the Suicide Squad in the comics, it's yeah. like, she, she, it's like, oh my god, she's just a sexy juggalette. <laughs> but, anyways... She's another character that kind of rides that fine line between madness and mental health because depending on which iteration you want to go with her, she's she's like with the Mad Hatter. She's like kind of quirky and goofy like in the Batman animated series. Well, even in the Batman animated series where it's kind of displayed that she has like codependency issues and whatnot. And a fear of being abandoned. Fear of being abandoned. But that's not like... The hard mental health issues that people really want to discuss, or right. they want displayed in their villains. Right. But in other iterations, they have like a hard mental illness. Again, with the Arkham games, where she's clearly displaying some more uh, borderline borderline maybe? symptoms. Possibly, yes. Yeah, the Arkham games. I will stress. It's yeah. I mean, the Arkham da- games did a good did a good job in that among other things they they were able to successfully and non-offensively i guess fit more of the villains into like a, like a diagnosis of their own mm-hmm. like they were able to do it in a in an in a way that wasn't like oh they're taking liberties with 
with certain diagnoses and everything. Right. But at the same time, it's just, it, it kind of feels a little weird. I don't know. Um, as someone who's played the Arkham games, I mean, I, I would agree. It's a little weird, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah. But. But with Harley Quinn, it's like, where do you draw the line between Matt? Like, from your experience, which Harley Quinn iterations would you classify more as madness and which ones would you classify as mental illness? Um, I, I would say, I would say it was accurate saying the offhand at least. Um, from what I remember, because I haven't played any of the, any of the Arkham games in a bit, um, she she does display a little bit of that borderline sort of iteration in the Arkham games. In her in um, in the Batman animated series, she is more like a mixture of that madness plus like battered wife syndrome because obviously the Joker's wailing on her all the time. Uh huh. So. Well, and and the show she's displayed more as quirky, which I probably ascribe more to the fact that it's a kids show. Right. I they're mean, not it was going. A rough... They're not going to do like they're... hard mental illness. Right. Well, aside from Two Face, they're not going to do <laughs> hard mental illness in a kids show. Right. I mean, they're going to ta- They did tackle some tough issues, and maybe we can cover that, like the animated series in and of itself, in a future uh, in a future episode. Um, but. It was a well-made kid show, but yes, it was still a kid show. Yeah. So they're probably not going to go into the nuances of any mental health behavior because... Or mental illness, I should say. Right. Because, yeah, I hate to break it to you folks, but mental illness is not as hard cut as it sounds. No, it is not. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons why... Um... Speaking of Harley Quinn... Oh, dear. Yep. We're gonna get to him. You know, Chris is getting out his DSM five because we gotta flip through a lot for this guy. Because, dear God, can writers not make up their minds about what exactly the Joker is? Oh my God! And it's not even. And it's not even. You know, it's obviously it's not even um, limited to the comics either. It's you know because for, it's the I, games. It's the shows. It's, it's the movies. It's everything with the Joker. No one can make up their minds <laughs> of whether he's like uh, and he's an anarchist with like some couple of quirky traits. He's actually insane. He's super sane. Oh my god. I actually I I was thinking about this earlier. I think that's kind of the beauty of the Joker is, is that it like not only cuz even he says in the killing joke in which is his his basically canonical origin story quote unquote he can't if he he can't he can't himself remember how it started like like actually and if you so, go by that alone it's like okay that's mental illness like he's not remembering his own life story as it should be, which okay, yes, that could be a mental illness. However, but that gets fact- contradicted so many fucking times. Yeah, but I, I, I was actually like I said, I was actually thinking the fact that is that if he can't, you know, e- even as he can't remember his own origin story, and even he can't determine what exactly the fuck is going on with him, 
nor can anybody else. It's it's kind of like poetically beautiful. It would a, be a lot a more we, in a weird, mentally ill sort of way. It would be a lot more poetically beautiful if he wasn't the poster child of mental illness. Yeah, I mean, it would. It would if if people if 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 more people or if less people took him seriously as like a picture of mental illness, then it would be yes, you're right. It would be more beautiful, but because well, at least in the comic book portrayals, of course, because he is the Joker and he's been in Arkham Asylum many, 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 many times. The subject of what exactly he is comes up a couple times and again that depends on which writer we're going with does he actually have a mental illness or is he just under the umbrella term of madness right and and again it depends on which iteration you're talking about and the closest diagnosis that chris and i have been able to get to is narcissistic personality disorder uh, well, as, at least one, as sort of a very general, te- let's take a smack at it kind of thing. Right, because that one is honestly the easiest one to see. Like, he is very egotistical, and he gaslights anybody into believing that he's right. He always believes that he's in the right. He will, like, half-heartingly admit that he may be wrong and we're all human, but it's kind of like in that backhanded way, like those backhanded apologies that you hear narcissists give because they don't really want to admit that they're wrong. Right. And he, uh, and if you rewatch, like, the Batman, Batman the Animated Series... And you just watch his interactions with Harley Quinn, it's like, oh my god, he is gaslighting the shit out of her. Yeah, um, and even, and it goes, and it also goes back to the sense of his own self-importance, like, when there, there's the episode where everybody thinks that little, the, uh, the little anonymous, anonymous guy killed Batman, the Joker's like, I'm the only one who can kill Batman, and he holds a funeral for him, and he's gonna kill this guy and then just and in another episode i think of the new batman and superman adventures when we see like the mad love episode when oh yeah when harley quinn is like on the verge of killing batman and she calls up the joker and he basically like throws her out a window because only he can kill batman and nobody else is allowed to kill batman Right, he builds himself up as the ultimate nemesis of Batman, and only he can do it. And that builds into the argument of narcissistic personality disorder, because this is a very constant trait with the with the Joker. Very and pretty much, self-important. Yeah, and this is not just a one-off thing, this is basically him. Right. And it's pretty much the only trait that writers can agree on with the Joker. Right. Aside from everything else, like again, oh my god. There's so much material there. There's, we we could go all night on the Joker alone. But to avoid making this podcast three hours long, <laughs> let's move on to a different character. Okay. Who do, who do we got next? Um, one. Well, I I will admit I have still not finished the series, and although don't you worry, Chris has the shackles ready to trap me in the basement with the entire series so I can finish it finally. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have shackles anywhere in this place. I don't know what you're talking about. 
But uh, the character is Jesse Custer. And I know a lot of you don't know what I'm talking about, but he's the main character for this series called Preacher by Garth Ennis. Right. Now... I mean, some people might know because of the show on AMC, but that show butchered the comics. Yeah, but my Nana and Pop-Up have no idea who that person is. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Hi, Nana! But (laughs) anyways, if you're listening to the title of that show, no, it is not a good, comforting, Christian, moral comic no not at all it's no it's blasphemous it is in the same realm as dogma and life of brian as far as blasphemy yeah so do not be fooled by the title of this comic right however the main character jesse custard custer custer okay i don't know why i don't know why i want to say custard i'm sorry but um Long story short, he gets possessed by this entity called Genesis, so whatever he says, people have to do. He gets with his ex-girlfriend and his new best bromance that falls (laughs) apart in the latter half of the series, who is an Irish vampire. Don't question it, just go with it for now. And they are on a mission to find God to hold him responsible for all the crap that's been going on lately. Yep. That's... But however, the character of Jesse Custer, he has a dark past. Let's just say his uh, extended family are a ex- bit fucked up. Fucked up Christians. <laughs> like they're the type of Christians who would justify beating the absolute crap out of a child if it means getting them to submit to the Lord. That's right. how fucked up we're talking here, folks. Right. So we're yeah. And they dead ass murder his father in front of his face. Yeah. Just to try and break him. Yeah. And as far as and mental health goes, the one big one that we can clearly see with Jesse is PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. Now, it's not focused on too much because, of course, we gotta deal with the rest of the plot of the creature. But Um, you see in instances before and after his big confrontation with his family that he's still suffering from the trauma that his family inflicted upon him. Right. Um, Although, I will say Jesse Custer has his own sort of while it's it's pretty textbook PTSD, yeah. it's he also has kind of his own flavor to it. Yeah, I I guess we should might as well conquer this now. Guess what, folks? Just because we have like hard concrete labels, that doesn't mean that one PTSD is the same thing as another PTSD. Right. Which makes this episode even more fun. Exactly. But. I think that Jesse would definitely fall onto the realm of mental illness rather than general madness because we can, not only can we pin down what exactly he has, so it's not under that umbrella term anymore, Right. but it's not like in the general definition where he's trying to like completely, okay, he is trying to overthrow God, but God is an asshole in that comic, so... Yeah, like I said, this is blasphemy, but... Right, I mean, once, I mean, to be fair, once from, once you add human, like, negative human things about God, it, any, it turns, it turns him into an asshole. Yeah. Once, once you, once you add negative human qualities to God, it... It just kind of makes him look like an asshole, which is what they did in the comic. Right. So, 
He, because, yeah, I would definitely say, and that, that, another thing that I've noticed is the comics that don't really make mental health their main pedestal, they tend to get it right more or less. Right. Because if we, as we... Like the guys who aren't trying. Right. Kind of like the portrayals of John D, Mad Hatter, Harley Quinn, Joker, where they're kind of like in that weird realm of madness but we're not really gonna get into it because we still have no idea what we actually want to do with them right the it's usually the comic writers that don't try to aim for like mental health are the ones who are able to get it right more than not right and preacher is not all about mental health it's no. about journey of these characters and because of that yeah. these character moments where they're allowed to be characters we can actually see their individual problems crop up, including their mental health issues. Right, like when Jesse talks to John Wayne. Like, that can clearly, uh, at least in my opinion, that, that would clearly count as a dissociative episode in PTSD called derealization, where the world around you can seem very dreamlike and etc., right. etc. Et cetera, et cetera. Or his dealings with Tulip immediately after the confrontation of his family, where he's... He still trusts her, but he's still just afraid of what's going to happen and is completely willing to leave her alone in a hotel room while he goes and does his thing, does his thing because he doesn't want her to get hurt, ergo hurting her in the process. Right. Which that doesn't that doesn't sound like the textbook definition of PTSD to maybe our viewers, but you got to understand that trauma and PTSD can manifest in different ways. And sometimes they're not as in your face. Right. Sometimes they're more subtle, like uh, being irritable rather than right. like lashing out all the time. Yeah. Or even just having certain nervous tics. Right. So, yeah, it's... And I think that they that Ennis nailed it a lot better than a writer trying to go for the PTSD label because he can recognize that it's a character we're dealing with and we're trying to portray him as an actual person and actual people deal with their mental health issues in their own way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I th- I think we can I think we can cover two more I think because we are we are running on time. Okay. And we don't want to bore our listeners too much. All right. Um, let's go with depression. So are we going with Crow now? I guess we are. Okay. So I actually did a comic review that my Nana and Pop-Up did read. Hi. But <laughs> the basic plot of the Crow is this dude, he dies because he's, well, he's murdered by this motorcycle gang. And right before he dies, he sees this motorcycle gang rape and murder his fiance. Very dark start. Well, yeah, very dark start to a story. Well, it's a dark story in general. Yeah, so. it's a dark story in general. And instead of passing on to the afterlife, he comes back as the crow to exact his vengeance on the gang members. And he's basically a walking embodiment of grief anger, depression, and despair. Mm-hmm. And this is this whole story came about because the writer of the comic, James O'Barr, or 
he suffered the loss of a fiance at the time and it kind of stirred up these emotions where he he didn't it's like he was processing it but it's like so this the crow is basically the culmination of his processing of grief and depression right and again while it is very over the top i think it's a more accurate depiction of how depression and grief like play out right or it can manifest especially in in guys yeah because hate to break it to you people but guys and girls are different and guys and girls do their mental illness does manifest a little differently right i mean one one thing that it's i will say i it's not in the dsm but one thing that um research has shown is that like men tend to be more i guess irritable when it comes to depression rather than sad right and because i you can argue all the live long day of why that is yeah i mean you can talk about uh just emotional suppression and stigma and stigmata and and all kinds of stuff, but... Or they'll react with violence. Right. Like with PTSD, while, like we said earlier, it's not always these explosive bouts of anger. Right. It does tend to be more of a guy thing, where even just... Sometimes it's a very small event, and they'll explode. Mm Mm-hmm. Either internally or externally. And that's kind of what The Crow is. Because The Crow is a very simple story... Ghost comes back, kills all the people that killed him and his girlfriend, and then he goes back to rest. All the people. All the people. All (laughs) of the people. (laughs) And, but it's also an allegory to, like, emotionally what you feel when you're going through that grief. Like, um, say your mother dies of cancer. Mm -hmm. And you're just going through the realms of grief. And there's always that little part of you that wants to murder the crap out of anyone who, who didn't prevent that. Who was involved and couldn't prevent her death. Right. Even if it is nonsensical. Like, there were a couple times... There was a time where uh, the crow killed a pawn shop owner, where technically the pawn shop owner was not involved with the death. He happened to have the ring of the fiancé that was stolen. Ergo, he right. should die. Right. But... That's kind of how grief and depression work. It's irrational. It is very irrational. And you can't... In many ways, yes. Yes. And I don't think it could be portrayed well if the goal of the comic was to go for this person is depressed, we must explore depression. But it's more of the artistic, like, emotional journey of going through that. And I will say, just because something seems or is or irrational, uh, logically speaking, it doesn't mean that the feelings are invalid, obviously. Right. And so the Crow character itself and the comic, I would file more under mental illness because it is going through that hard time and it is a hard thing that we can or at least it's closer to mental illness because i mean bereavement by itself is not a mental illness but well, i guess the act of i guess the act of just killing the shit out of people who have hurt you is madness <laughs> but, 
Right, but I, I'm I'm just saying like bereavement by itself is not is not is is one of those things because the thing about mental illness is it's circumstantial. Like like for example, something like we like we mentioned in the last episode, something that if, between cultures, something that may seem completely insane to me, like from a cultural standpoint, could be completely natural in a in a in another cultural setting. Yeah, but The Crow was written by an American. Right. I'm, 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 I'm not saying that The Crow is... I'm just saying there are nuances here. Right, right. And I guess that's so. So I guess, like, some of the more outland... I guess we can say the more outlandish parts of The Crow could be filed under madness, but some of the more underlying themes of The Crow right. could be filed under mental illness. Right. Could be filed... Yeah. So I guess that's a better that's a better way of putting it. You're right, Chris. <laughs> um, you hear that, folks? I can admit when I'm wrong. Thank, thank you. Yes, you are, and and not ironically, and not in a narcissistic way. You're you have you you have you have passed the test. <laughs> I'm a dipshit. I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So. Um, since I've basically taken over the discussion, how about you pick the next one for discussion? Since we have one more to fill. Are you talking about Craven or are you talking about Rorschach? Which one do you want to do? Uh, I'm going to say Rorschach because I'm more familiar with Rorschach. Because right. you were the one who read Craven, so I, and I didn't. So. Alright, we'll talk about Rorschach instead. Okay, so Rorschach, he... Oh god, where to start? Um... You want to do? You, I will say. Do you want to give like a general from the comics point of view? Okay. So, long story short, Alan Moore wanted to use characters that DC acquired that to write the Watchmen story for. So these were supposed to be actual like DC ca characters. Well. It's kind of a weird history. So right. DC acquired this one comics company. So technically they're DC characters. And Alan Moore wanted to take these characters and write Watchmen with them. But DC said no. So Alan Moore is like, fine, I'll just make my own characters. Because he's Alan Moore. Because <laughs> he's Alan Moore and he does not give a fuck. No. Nope. But, but anyways, uh, the character Rorschach... He is, I guess he's one of the first main characters we do meet in Watchmen. Yeah. We technically meet the comedian first. Right. But he, but, that's when he's dead. <laughs> right. But Rorschach, it's Rorschach's journal that we're, that's like basically narrating the thing. Yeah, narrating thing. And Rorschach is a detective and he's basically Alan Moore's depiction of what Batman would be like in the real world. And it's not as glamorous no, as what Batman is, is in the comics. No, he, he is he is angry. Like, he is, like, angry. almost classically angry, violent, PTSD. Antisocial. Antisocial oh personality God. disorder. He, he, yeah, he is all the, he is all of the things. But, anyways, he, he sees the murder of the comedian, which, who was his former... Co-worker, I guess we cohort could mate cohort. Uh, they were both they were both vigilantes at the same time, and 
Of course, the murder of the comedian is, gets Rorschach's attention, and Rorschach wants to figure this out, because if someone's murdering Smash. former vigilantes, right. then that means that he and some of his other former vigilantes are in danger. Right. So that's the premise of Watchmen. And from all the depictions of Rorschach that we see, he is an observant man. Yeah. And he is willing to entertain conspiracy theories, even if they sound crazy, and but sometimes they are true. However, he's... He still kind of falls under that madness umbrella, because it's like, they, there are aspects of PTSD, there are aspects of antisocial personality disorder, but then they throw in anything that they can't explain away with a diagnosis, they kind of throw in under the general umbrella right. term of madness. I mean... I guess to Alan Moore's credit, Rorschach apparently seems to be very against mental, like mental health in a way. Okay, that's, like, that's probably fair. He completely talks down to his therapist. Right, because because his therapist, because the things he's hiding from his therapist, his therapist legitimately has no idea. And once he finally reveals to his therapist what actually caused him to be what it is, it he's, completely destroys yeah. the therapist. Right. But anyways. Because we can't really nail down exactly what Rorschach is, and a lot of what he is is more like creative licensing, he does fall under that umbrella category of madness. Right, but I I, I would say he is more diagnosable than most. Like, right. If you want to go that route, if you want guess, to go that route, I guess we it. can say in the text and what we see, he can be. If you take the text just as it is. Yeah, it's just madness. But if you want to go the extra mile to actually diagnose him, he's a lot easier to diagnose than like, like the, the Joker. Joker. Yeah. Right. So another character that Alan Moore wrote and made things more complicated for everyone. Alan Moore's the one who wrote the Killing Joke, who which the book that supposedly gave the Joker a backstory. But further complicated things because the Joker admits in the end that he has no idea if that backstory is true or not. Right. So it's like, thanks, that didn't help at all. Right. But anyways, back to Rorschach. <coughs> um, the one mental illness that I could see in the text is clearly PTSD. Oh, absolutely. And we are, and we are shown this in the text. This right. is not us speculating. Right. We, Rorschach details the one incident that, that drove that, him over the edge right, and it's made like him flashbacks and all kinds of things. Because another thing about Rorschach is when you there are flashbacks in the story to before Rorschach became who he was, and Rorschach is actually very eloquent. He right. could speak clearly. He was a good strategist and whatnot. And even the characters in the text, at that pivotal point, they comment on. What the hell's up with Rorschach? What's going on with him? Why is he acting like this? Right. And the comic does show the one incident that drove Rorschach over the edge. And spoilers, spoilers. L let's we, let's not go into it. I think we should just to or let's 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 just paint it with a very broad brush. Okay, j we'll do the TLDR of the. <laughs> so the the short story is. Rorschach went on a mission to save this little girl that he promised the parents that he was going to bring her back. And when he finally got to what he believed to be the person responsible for her disappearance, he finds out she's dead. And in, in several horrible ways. Oh, yes. It 
it, it's it's it, it, they don't it, go Alan Moore does not go into detail of her demise thank God but it's very clear that it's it was a very horrible death for this little girl right and that pushed that, Rorschach over the edge and, so far and admittedly when it, he confronts it would for the guy anybody, honestly yeah it would for anybody and what he did to the assailant very much deserved. I would say very much deserved and is makes much more sense in the comic than it did in the movie. The movie overdramatized it way too much. But Right. I, I can agree with that. I mean the movie had its we'll just say the movie had its problems oh across my, the board. Oh my god it did. Oh my god it did. But yeah, the the comic does show us that one moment that really pushed him over the edge and made him who he is in the present day that we see him. Right. So we can clearly see PTSD, and this is how his PTSD has manifested. He's become even more... Antisocial. More antisocial and also... More violent. He has a greater conviction of what he does. Right. It's it's like, it's almost a... He's a parody of a Frank Miller character. Yes. It's like a, he's like a Frank Miller caricature. Yes, that's basically what he became. But you could also argue that he also is suffering some trauma from earlier in his life that we do get to see. Right. Because his his mother was an abusive prostitute. We even see this one scene where he hears noises from her room and he goes in thinking that she's being hurt when she's with a yeah, client. Right. And obviously the client leaves and she smacks the shit out of him for driving away the client. Even telling him straight up, I wish I got that abortion. I don't remember that, but I'm, I'm going to trust I'm I, but I'm going to trust that you have a better memory when it comes to yeah. the comic comical not comical, but the comic related details here. Yeah, but that is like enough to warp someone's perception of the world. Right. So, but he does at one point try to become a vigilante because he does see wrong in the world. Right. And he does legitimately want to help the world. But he's clearly suffering from these issues. And then after this incident with the little girl, it just, it's just traumatized him. And yeah, it's just all bets are off. Yeah. And so Rorschach is also one of those characters that's a fine line, but it he's a little easier to deal with because we can clearly see the evidence and we can clearly say he's suffering from PTSD, probably a little bit of antisocial personality disorder. At at the very least, he would have some tendencies of antisocial personality disorder. It's up for grabs. If he's possibly on the spectrum, we don't know. Yeah, that's where it gets gray. Yeah. And despite what comic book resources have... I seriously don't even think he even has a sexuality, so we can't even say for yeah, sure I, if I he's gay. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. Th- uh, first of all, I don't think it matters, and second of all, uh, yeah, it can't be determined. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And second of all, wait, he wait, he has a sexuality. <laughs> like this, this guy actually does get it up every once in a while. Like, does he even have a the time that, in his okay. work schedule? Okay, okay, let that. Okay, let's let's let's. Cut it off there. <laughs> this was a very... 
I don't know. It was a juicy, but a very no, scattered no, no, podcast. no. I mean, let let's cut that subject matter. No, off. I'm saying about the podcast in general. It, it was a juicy podcast, but very scattered. Right. We're still on though. Yeah, we are. Hi, folks. <laughs> yes, we are this awkward. <laughs> um, but I think that I guess that's a good place to end as any. Uh, <laughs> um. I think, well, I guess this could help with, like, future episodes when we're talking about mental illness when it comes to characters. Right. It would provide some context, especially if we bring up, like, the same characters in, in different in Right, discussions. and distinguishing that while comic books can sometimes be, like, a good exploration of these topics, they're not hard like this is what mental illness looks like right because i hate to break this to you people but comic book writers are not mental health experts no no not for a long shot (laughs) they don't have degrees in this shit if they do you can correct me in the comments but for the most part their main goal is to entertain right and sometimes that will include going into topics such as mental health issues Though you have and to taking underst- creative license and taking a lot of creative licensing, but you have to understand they're while sometimes they can get it right. More often than not, they get it somehow wrong. I don't want to say they somehow get it wrong. It's just they go about it the wrong way. Okay, that's fair. Especially with one author we will be discussing in a later episode, who is near and dear to my heart, but I will <laughs> acknowledge that. Oh. Oh boy, they have a very bad idea of how mental health should be presented. Exactly. Um, so speaking of which, what did did we ultimately decide what we we're going to do for our next episode yet? Or I think we're just going to just go for it due to the cut follies. Okay, we're go- yeah, we're gonna we we're, we're both gonna watch a documentary on YouTube. Uh, you folks are. Free to watch it, I suppose. I think it's free on YouTube, yeah, because I don't think any streaming website wants to have this. No, on there. it's 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 a horrible, horrible documentary about the state of asylums. Back in the nineteen sixties. Yes. Asylums don't exist anymore, folks. No, they don't. <laughs> um, for better or for worse. Um, Which we will discuss in that episode. Right. But, um, and how that relates to comics, I guess you'll just have to tune in and see. Indeed. So hit subscribe. <laughs> it, yeah, subscribe if you, you know hit that hit play it play it more than once if you if you can stand to listen to us for that much. But um, yeah, I guess that's a good place to end it. So uh, good night, folks. Give and, us money so we can afford wine. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, and I and hopefully you will tune in next month. <laughs>